Hi everyone, and welcome to RX Rounds, a podcast that focuses on health education in the Caribbean community. I am your host, Alandra Mitchell. When we think of healthcare, we often think about doctors, nurses, and the aftermath of disease. And while this is very important, we ought to be thinking more about the prevention of disease. This is the area called public health. In this episode, Kafa consultant and professor of public health and preventive medicine, Dr. Shelley Rodrigo, joins us to discuss health education in the Caribbean. Hi everyone, welcome back to RX Rounds. So our previous episode ended the COVID-19 series, but if nothing else, this virus has taught us the importance of public health, research, epidemiology, and healthcare workers. So today we will be talking about health education in the Caribbean. And our guest today is Dr. Shelley Rodrigo. Uh, she is a CAFA consultant. She spearheads the field, um, the field epidemiology and laboratory training program. Uh, she is also an associate professor of epidemiology at St. George's University. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay, thank you very much, Alandra, for inviting me here. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I gave a brief introduction, so I'm sure that's a snippet of what you do. Uh, yes, it is. Um, I'm Trinidadian by birth. I was educated initially at the University of the West Indies in Trinidad. And subsequently, I went to Australia to do my postgraduate degree in epidemiology. I came back to the Caribbean and started working as a professor at St. George's University, teaching things like research methods, data management, and epidemiology. I returned to Trinidad in 2017 and started working with CAFA in the field epidemiology program, uh, the Caribbean Field Epidemiology and Laboratory Training Program, or CRFLTEP as it's called. Um, it's really a program geared towards training public health professionals in terms of um, the competencies and on the job training skills to develop their um, competencies in terms of epidemiology and to help them respond to public health issues in the Caribbean. It's so key now that we have this pandemic and so most of our persons who have been trained in the CRFLTEP actually responding to um, emergencies within their countries. I'm eager to hear much more about FELTEP. But first I want to ask you, why do you think health education is important? especially in the Caribbean. So we need persons within the community to be educated themselves about what they should and should not be doing, about nutrition, about you know, exercise and the benefits and the types of exercise, because we don't want people to go out within the end, you know, do things that may have a negative impact upon, upon them in terms of some of the damages that might occur um, to them if they were to, um, start some rigorous, you know, something like um, the Sean T type um, exercises. That <laughs> I, you know, yes, yes. I was trying to remember the name, I couldn't remember. <laughs> but some people, and these types of exercises sometimes put people off of exercising because they start and they realize it's too much for them. They feel drained, the body aches at the next day, whereas you want them to start gently, um, you know, walk around the block, a brisk walk around the block, not just a stroll, 
um, but something within what they can do and they build upon that. So we need persons within the community to be educated on their health matters. But we also need, and we have been training um, public health and healthcare practitioners in terms of educating the public. Mm. So the messages um, that are going to be, you know, carried out to the community, um, those public health practitioners obviously need to have the education, the evidence actually, to then transmit that to the community so that there will be some sort of impact. And these days, public health practitioners are so key to um, what's going on. And they have a role to play in terms of wellness activities and initiatives in communities and to tailor the messages to address the specific health community's needs. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important in the Caribbean because we have messages that might be coming out from different parts of the world. But does the message that's coming out from the U.S. really and truly address the cultural nuances right. in, in the Caribbean region? It doesn't. And so we need, yes, we need to, you know, take what has been done in other areas. We need to actually do research to make sure that sometimes these things can work for us. Mm -hmm. And we need to then tailor the messages for our population so that once, you know, they, they hear it, they understand it, they take action on it it can work for us. Yeah. I really like how you say tailor what we learn in other areas because it's so important for us to know that in the Caribbean, developing countries as a whole, their needs are very different mm -hmm. from the large developed countries. So that's really important that we target our Caribbean islands a little bit differently um, mm -hmm. in terms of health education. So Back to talking about COVID, I know the World Health Organization talked about this infodemic associated with COVID-19. And you mentioned a little bit about healthcare professionals or public health personnel educating about, you know, healthcare to the general public. So is there more of a role for um, sort of contesting misinformation in, in these areas? Definitely. Um we live in a technological age where everything is just there at your fingertips. Mm -hmm. Yes, there may be persons who are not connected um, to the internet as some others are, but the majority of our population has you know, phones. Yeah. And they might get a WhatsApp message, they might get it on other social media avenues, and they're getting messaged now. And while the WHO talked about the infodemic in terms of COVID-19, we've had an infodemic occurring you know, because what really and truly is an infodemic, it's really having a massive amount of information come at you um, about solutions to the problems, and the solutions sometimes are not factual. And it's a lot of misinformation being spread. It's being brought ahead with, with COVID because it's so in your face, it's everybody around the world rather than isolated pockets that are being affected. And so persons are spreading messages widely. I recall my mother getting a, um, a message on WhatsApp and she calls me up. I, I was at work and she calls me up and she says, I just got this. What do you think? I said, this is not correct. Please <laughs> delete it and do not share it. I then sent it on to our communications um, arm of CAFA and I said to her, um, the communication specialist there, here's another um, bit of misinformation, a myth, because CAFA was at the time 
uh, creating a lot of um, infographics in terms of the yeah. myths and the myths busters. And anybody can look at Kafa's website and get some of these uh, infographics. And um, she then used that one and created another, you know, doc infographic addressing that particular myth. And so we have this epidemic of misinformation and education has to play a real role in that, you know, getting the, pers the messages to the persons where they are, whether they're on social media, um, Facebook, WhatsApp, and, you know, having the evidence tailored in such a way that's palatable. Mm. Because we can't, you know, when we think about the field and the research and the papers and the dense amount of text, that's not the way the messages are supposed to be sent. Right. We've got to have nice infographics, minimum amount of um, textual information, perhaps in a graphical format, you know, something that once persons see it, they understand it, they can pass it on and share it so that we can combat what's going on out there. Uh, traditional media such as the media houses um, do have a role to play and we've seen them playing the role in the COVID uh, situation um, during the briefings. Of course, they're, you know, the way they tailor the messages sometimes leaves a lot to be desired. But what happened during the media briefings, we saw some of the non-traditional uh, media house, well, media outlets coming to court. So persons who had a blog, um, what you're doing with the podcast, you know, those persons were part of the, the virtual um, briefings and were able now to carry the message to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the public has to be looking at what they're consuming on, on social media with a critical eye. And if they're not sure, seek out some of the reputable agencies, CAFA, PAHO, WHO, those are places, you know, they check the websites, they can get um, some really valuable key information that will combat what's coming out of the negative messages and noise that persons are sharing, which really and truly are a lot of misinformation. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about the evidence-based approaches and making them more palatable for our, our community so that, you know, they will understand uh, some of this information and be able to use it and share it. I yeah. really like how those infographics you guys had were shareable. You can li literally access it on a website and just share it with someone who sent you that misinformation. So that yes. really made it a lot easier to bunk debunk those myths. Um, so how can our community um, implement more evidence-based approaches outside of the you know, infographics and things like that? What else can we do? It's so ironic because during the three week, we conducted a three week retraining course for our Felta graduates in light of the COVID responses in terms of our brick investigation, etc. One of the persons who attended was a public health practitioner from Trinidad, south of Trinidad, very passionate about public health and felt that she was being underutilized. Mm -hmm. I turned to her and I said to her, what are you doing in your community? not wow. the public health arena, but in your community where you live to spread the message on what are the practices based on what you know as the evidence. Because she's a very smart, well-informed um, woman, young woman, and she knows 
okay, she, she was quoting some of the evidence from, from WHO and these other agencies. So I said, well, what are you doing? And so we now, as public health practitioners and persons in the, in the healthcare setting, we need to have a mindset change and utilize the technology and not just, um, you know, in terms of the infographics, but even going to out in the community and spreading the message there. We can probably have um, a town hall meeting. Mm. You know, the, the, we, they talk about town hall meetings with respect to politicians, but why not health? So bringing the evidence to the persons. I know when I was in Greenada, one of the things they had was um, uh, a talk show on the, the radio that was geared specifically at health. I'm not 100% sure that there's not something like that into that, but that sh talk show really was just a public uh, and the medical practitioners, health practi and medical health practitioners coming on the show and people called in to talk about their health problems mm -hmm. and what it is that you know they heard and trying to debunk some of the myths. And, and that I think got the message across to um, the public, the community, because they now heard what they should be doing based on some of the evidence that the healthcare practitioners actually um, know. That's very strong and powerful. What are you doing in your community to combat some of these myths and to make sure everything is evidence-based? Yeah, and I congratulate you on the initiative because I think it's, it's great that, you know, there's another avenue for public, uh, the, the community in, in the Caribbean, not just Trinidad, in, yeah. in the Caribbean to, can, to hear something that's relevant to them. Because I'm not sure how many podcasts by Caribbean people addressing yes. health that there's out, you know, out there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the field epidemiology and laboratory training program. Um, tell us a little bit more about the partnership with UCC that I saw recently. Um, how is that going? Uh, well, we just signed a memorandum of agreement um, last month. And so we're actually, you know, working towards strengthening health education in, in the region. Now, the FELTAP initiative in the Caribbean was started in 2014, as I mentioned previously. Um, and so the curriculum, et cetera, uh, was developed um, in conjunction with a grant from CDC. And it rolled out to uh, different Caribbean islands, right? So we, in 20. Prior to 2018, it was all face-to-face, -face, and this is a very expensive undertaking. To think about going to every Caribbean island um, for a week on end over a course of three to five months, okay, wow. one week every month, to train professionals in-country, it tends to add up. And funding is something that, you know, we need to consider when we're having these face-to-face -face sessions. So in 2018, 2019, we ran a cohort of the um, FELTAP, our basic level training online. And we had some teaching problems. It went well. It was appreciated by the persons who actually participated. Um, 20 persons from nine countries um, graduated from that program. Wow. What, yeah, it was, it was really great. Um, persons really enjoyed it because um, while they were not there face to face, they could have interacted not just with persons in country, but persons from other countries and get different perspectives. 
And this was something that was highlighted also in the retraining, the training session we had um, last month. So the partnership with the UTT is to help us in our instructional design for the virtual environment. So that was our first foray into the virtual environment. Um, UTT has, you know, um, experience in virtual environment. They've got their, their learning management system in place. We're now looking to expand, to build on ours. And so we're going to utilize the skills and the experience from UTT to actually expand further into our virtual training. Um, on the other hand, we do have a track record at CAFA in terms of training. Um, of some of our programs, CAFA has actually been accredited um, for five years as a training institute for the, uh, our basic level as well as the pre-basic level of our Caltech programs. And so we can help UTT now in terms of the, the um, they're trying to develop an, a dual program, an MPA, which is Master for Public Admin, Health Administration and Public Health. And so we're actually helping them develop the MPH part of their program, which is tailored towards um, public health professionals in the Eastern Caribbean states initially. So our partnership is supposed to help both organizations to develop um, and grow so that we better serve the public health community within the Caribbean. So is this only open to CAFA member states or all Caribbean islands? Currently the FELTAP is open to all CAFA member states. Now, while you said all Caribbean islands, most of, of the Caribbean islands, except for the French dependencies, mm -hmm. French and Dutch, are part of CAFA members. Mm -hmm. are, okay, so they're part of CARICOM, they're open to this initiative. Uh, we have an agreement with the, um, the French, and so we are looking to incorporate them We've been having discussions with the Dutch uh, agencies. We do have Suriname, who's a CARICOM member yeah. as part, and they, we've had trained persons in Suriname in terms of the Caribbean FALTEP um, program. So yes, it's open to our CAFA member states, uh, which are CARICOM member countries. Uh, we are, as I said, still in discussion with um, the Dutch, uh, but we have some agreement with the French. Okay, great. So, is it going to require um, some sort of live interaction at some level in the program? Now, even though the program, our Delta program, uh, may be merging uh, and migrating, I should say, to um, an online environment, there is still in-country face-to-face because the competency, the classroom-based competencies can go online. That's the didactics. Mm -hmm. But there is a component and it's 80% of that component is going to be in the field training and they need to be in their workplaces um, in terms of uh, reporting, analyzing data. If there's an outbreak of anything and it could be just perhaps, you know, a gastroenteritis outbreak or an increase in respiratory illnesses, um, the persons who are part of the program being trained are supposed to be in, involved in those activities in country. So then in the country, they have mentors. There's the focal point country coordinator who oversees the in-country activities 
and the, the, they have the participants have mentors they can learn from bounce off ideas get review on their their products before it's passed over to um the coordinator at, at CAFA. so yes there's going to be an online component but there's still going to be a faced in-person component in country that's going to give them the field experience they really and truly need is it open to majority public health personnel or anyone in an area of healthcare can can get involved in this educational opportunity? It's open to public healthcare pro professionals in the region. Mm -hmm. However, the Ministry of Health in country us they're really and truly going to nominate persons. We've had persons who were environmental health workers, veterinary officers. Um, we've had healthcare doctors, all right, nurses, um, lab technicians, because it's a part of this lab. So we've had a wide variety of healthcare professionals, not just solely public health practitioners, being part of the program and uh, graduates of the program to date. Nice. Well, I think this is all great information. I'm sure a lot of folks might be interested in this now because of COVID and what is done in the community and the amazing response uh, the Caribbean has had to this virus. Um, I'm almost overwhelmed by how well government and CAFA and all of the other agencies have been putting together all of the information to help keep everyone up to date on the virus. Do you have any other information you want to share in terms of FELTEP? Yeah, the only disclaimer I have with respect to FELTEP is that the nominations for the program comes from the country. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to be part of the program, they need to actually contact the uh, country focal point, who's normally the epidemiologist in the country, and they would you know, express their interest and that person and the, the country coordinator um, in conjunction with the chief medical officer would nominate the person to be part of the program. So uh, countries are supposed to take ownership and run their, their basic training um, with our guidance. And so if they want to have a large number of persons who um, from various fields as part of their, their in-country programs, that's fantastic because the idea is that we need to have persons trained in, health, in, in this methodology. Um, because of the fact that, look at what's happened. We need to be able to respond. We can only strengthen our systems, our healthcare systems, if we have persons trained mm -hmm. in, in the skills that are needed to collect the data, to analyze the data, and interpret the data for recommendation actions. So, well, in that case, how can lay individuals um, who are maybe not healthcare related or not in public health, how can they increase their knowledge um, in terms of public health? Uh, for the community, general public, um, in terms of increasing the knowledge about public health, I, my main recommendation is to check the CAFA website, the PAHO website, because these are CAFA for the region, PAHO for the Americas, and then the WHO, because it has global information. Now, what CAFA does, CAFA has a lot of information on the website. Mm -hmm. So we would look at 
compiling a lot of the evidence uh, from around the world and putting it out there in a way that the public can actually uh, use, learn more about health, um, increase their knowledge about whether it's their personal health, um, public health as a whole, um, etc. That said, persons in community can also check the Ministry of Health Municipal Cooperations because um, the various municipal corporations have a public health department. It's usually called public health and sanitation. Okay. Now, most of the times people only go to those organizations if they want a food badge because they know <laughs> that they, in order to sell a food as a vendor, you need to get a food badge, you will go to that organization. But that organization has the public health inspectors. The yeah. public health inspectors are quite knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. And so you can go and, and, you know, ask, get some information from those persons within your communities also. So on our program, we have what we call a Mythbuster segment because we try to focus on debunking some of the myths that um, are associated with healthcare. And one of the myths that I come across a lot is that healthcare professionals in the Caribbean are not sufficiently trained and they don't know enough. So I want you as a healthcare professional in the Caribbean to address this. <laughs> I have to laugh at this one because what we've seen over the last 10 years and probably even more is that we've got a brain drain in the area of healthcare because our healthcare professionals, whether it be nurses, doctors, pharmacists, I have friends who are pharmacists who train in pharmacy in Trinidad, be recruited to the US for working there. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our healthcare professionals, and especially nurses really, have been recruited by the UK, the US, and even some of the Northern Caribbean islands like Bermuda, because of the fact that they are trained and they have the skills. Yeah. So saying that healthcare professionals in the Caribbean are not tr- sufficiently trained is not correct because if they were not, nobody would come here to get them. Exactly. And so we need to, you know, look at, they say that, you know, the prophet is not really and truly glorified in his or her own country. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. <laughs> they go elsewhere and they are, you know, recognized. We need to recognize that we do have trained persons. And because those trained persons have left, that's one of the reasons that we have a shortage of persons, trained persons in the healthcare setting. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Um, any other myths that you are aware of in public health or health education? Um, I'm not, one of the myths is I, it comes from, you know, uh, the whole arena of uh, the levels of, okay, um, we have the primary, secondary, tertiary. And tertiary is where, you know, you really and truly need a lot of medical attention. You're going to be seeing a doctor, you're, you know, you're on dialysis machines, etc. Primary care is talking about prevention. Mm-hmm. Prevention is the area of public health. And one of the biggest myths is that prevention and public health doesn't require a lot of resources. You can do that, you know, with minimal amount of money. Whereas if we flip it and put the money in prevention, we won't need all these, um, you know, high-tech equipment, et cetera, just to keep persons alive. Right. And we see, it, we see it happening right now in COVID. Simple things that you need to do, really, to help, you know, minimize the impact, of, especially on the elderly, 
and those with um, comorbid conditions can be put in place. But those measures, first of all, need to be promoted. The messages need to get across and you need to put the money in to have the mask, have the, the sanitizers, you know, send them out to where it's needed, the, the cleaners, etc. So if we flip it and put it in money in prevention, perhaps, you know, we, we, we can change the paradigm that exists in terms of what we see in the Caribbean is that epi shift to CNCDs. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, yeah, it, public health really and truly is one of the least um, resourced in terms of finances. Uh, it, arenas in in terms of healthcare, if not um, the majority of the countries, I, I would say, you know, that that's the situation, um, probably even worldwide. Yeah. And that's probably one of the key areas in where we can address the non-communicable diseases that we have plague in the Caribbean right now, you know, addressing yes. those preventable diseases, obesity, diabetes, things like that, that's going to be so helpful for preventing those non-communicable diseases. Yeah. Well, another one of the myths that I thought of was um, leveraging technology. And you mentioned a little bit about UTT being involved with Feltup because of the um, availability of technology. Um, but there's this idea in the Caribbean that technology might take over things and, you know, there's a little bit of a fear as to introducing technology into healthcare. What do you think about that? Technology is a tool. Mm -hmm. And if we utilize tools correctly, then it can always be for the benefit of, you know, improving health. Now, we use tools, sometimes we use tools badly. Mm -hmm. We misuse them. So if somebody decides, okay, I'm going to dig a hole, but I'm going to use a, a, a shovel. He's using it perhaps, you know, the right way. Somebody might take the, the shovel and use it for some other task and realize, hang on, this is not working. You're using it. You're misusing it. So we have to use it properly. Now, in terms of technology and what has happened with COVID, and we keep, because we're living it, you know, you have to bring back some of the references <laughs> now. Yeah. yeah. I know while it's, it's education and health education, we have had, you know, a lot of interruptions because of COVID. So we see a lot of our youths, our children are home. And so schools have then moved towards using technology to teach. However, not a lot of persons are using technology the right way. We need mm -hmm. to leverage the power of technology to help um, in teaching. And some persons learn, you know, differently. So we can leverage technology, help them in learning. But what I see, and I'm going to give you a personal perspective. My nephew has classes. They're using WhatsApp chat. And that's the only mechanism the teacher is communicating the information to them. Yeah. That's not the ideal for teaching. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can leverage WhatsApp chat, but you can't teach via WhatsApp chat. There are a couple of other teachers who are using Zoom. And there was one who was actually on his whiteboard and he was you know, showing things via Zoom. Zoom does have features like that. So that's leveraging for, for teaching. So we can use it. Um, but we need to train persons, first of all, in how to use the technology to teaching. 
there's some aspects of artificial intelligence in terms of um, gaming, gamification. There's a whole arena of gamification of education. And what I find with that arena, it's great because a lot of the young people like games. They like computer games. They're, yeah. they're so enamored with it. And if you gamify a concept, it actually helps them better with remembering. They're so engrossed in, in you know, the, the, the training that they don't realize they're learning a lot. Yeah. So that's one of the other ways that we can leverage technology and AI. And we can use that not just in educating children, but in educating healthcare practitioners. So for example, if we did not have a pandemic that we're <laughs> existing in, and a lot of people are learning from right now because they're getting a lot of practical experience, in order to teach something like outbreak um, investigation, we would have had to run a simulation. A simulation can be done in a virtual environment and because of the fact that you have the AI built and the background um, you know, programming built into the, the training, based on what the person chooses, they get different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And so we need to leverage technology in healthcare as well as in education. I completely agree. So any closing thoughts on this topic as we kind of round up? Um, I think in closing, uh, what I need to push here is that health, public health is the key to health of, of any country, whether it's in the Caribbean or any part of the world, and we're seeing it now. Mm -hmm. But our public health practitioners need to make use of what's available now and leverage the situation now to actually you know, have an impact on their communities, not just the, the nation as a whole with the messages that are coming out from the ministries of health, but on the ground, in the community where you exist and using any tool, any you know, avenue, whether it be social media or elsewhere, to actually bring the information to your community members so that they now, hearing the, that information can make um, informed decisions for their health. Great. And I talk a lot about Kafa in here because um, this is kind of my resource uh, for everything Caribbean. Um, but where can folks find some more information about you, about the program, about who they need to reach out to in their community, um, in their countries, sorry, uh, to get involved in FALTAP? Where can they go? Um, in terms of FALTAP, uh, you can go to the CAFA website, CAFA.org. Uh, there, I can give you the URL for FALTAP, but it's really not a, a very simple one. So go to CAFA.org, um, put in your search FELTP, and you will get straight to the information with respect to clicking on the link for the FALTAP page. You can find out what the FALTAP is all about. Um, get information on, you know, different aspects of the Delta. Um, in terms of communication, you persons can reach me by email, um, rodrigsh at kafa.org. I can give them further information on FELTAP, um, FELTAP within their countries, put them in contact with the relevant persons in their countries uh, if they need to have information, um, country information for FELTAP. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You gave us a lot of information to think about. Um, 
a lot concerning felt up and just uh, education in general. So we thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me and all the best with this program. I think it should continue and it's a great initiative for our Caribbean people. Thank you. Only a small amount of the things that affect our health actually happens at the doctor's office, hospitals and clinics. We all need to take responsibility for our own health by actively seeking opportunities for quality healthcare information. RX Rounds will continue to provide you with the quality, credible healthcare information on our website, www.rxrounds.com. If you enjoyed this episode, follow RX Rounds on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button, rate, comment, and review this podcast. We'll see you next round on RX Rounds.